Good morning, everyone. My name's Carl, and it's boss to be able to open God's Word with you this morning. And if you've got your Bible and you have it open at Exodus chapter 23, that'll be really helpful. So you can see that I'm not lying. This is God's Word that we're looking at. It's really important. So I'll have it open in front here. And maybe the sworn hasn't got a Bible next to you. Be willing to share that with them as well. That'd be cool. August 2020, can you remember it? August 2020. We've been in lockdown for a few months, haven't we? And finally we were allowed out a little bit. And they said, you can even go on holiday. Do you remember? Feels like ages ago, doesn't it? That? And we were allowed to go on holiday, but only in the UK. And as a family, we got dead excited. And we thought, what can we do? We'll go camping. <laughs> and actually we went camping with a big group from this uh, church. And I know some of you already like, oh no. Not that one. Yeah, that one. Because actually, we were planning this trip, and when you go camping, it takes ages to plan because you need so much stuff, so much food. Uh, for every occasion, you need loads of clothes and stuff like that. So, but we were planning, we were really excited, and the time came when we were, we were traveling, because we used to live in Glasgow, and we were traveling down, uh, and we would stay in Liverpool for a night, and then we would move on to, uh, to Wales with, with everybody else. And there was a group of about, I think there was about 10 or 11 tents. Uh, there was loads of us. But actually, uh, as we were uh, driving down, people had been there for a day. So we were sort of like a day behind. And at this point, it just started to go wrong, okay? So we've been dead excited about getting out, but then it all started to go wrong. First of all, Ella, our niece, before we even got there, broke her leg. Couldn't believe it. She'd broken her leg. And we got to Liverpool, and Steve, Steve was there. Sean was in hospital with Ella. Uh, and Steve was upset. He's like, oh, this is terrible. And we said, look, come with us, with the boys, and, uh, and with Lily, and we can still have a boss time. So they came anyway. And but we, everyone was still quite excited, and we got there, and we, the kids loved this pool. It's the worst pool you've ever seen in your life. It's an outdoor pool, but they love it. All the kids are dead excited about going to this pool with the worst slide that you've ever seen, but they were really excited, and we got there, and the pool was still closed. They said it's going to open on Friday when we're all leaving on Thursday. You know, it's, it was typical. So we got there, and but actually, it was a beautiful day when we arrived. The sun was shining, and it was great, but then the next day, 50 mile an hour winds decided to turn up, and it was a nightmare. First of all, Freddie and Charlotte, this was the first time I met Freddie and Charlotte. This was the first tent to actually snap, but Freddie was like, I'm not giving up, and he tapes it up, and he stuck to the end. Is right, Freddie. Got through all, all the weather and stuff like that, and his, his tent, even though it was like that for about 24 hours, it stood up, and he managed to stay there. But actually, the next 24 hours was just like mayhem. Because me and our Steve and Freddie basically helped about 10 people take down their tents in 50 mile an hour winds and to pack them up and go. And our tents were the only ones left standing. Paul's never been so excited to get off a campsite. <laughs> you know, he doesn't like it in the wind when it's sunny, do you, Paul? You know, but he's like, oh yeah, get it packed up and we'll get away. And that evening, there was no tent, well, there, was, there was us, uh, Freddie and Charlotte and our Steve's tent left and the Evanses were there but they were living in luxury in a little caravan somewhere but we were sitting in our Steve's tent and the wind was howling outside and, and we were just like reminiscing to the day and things like that and we sort of started to relax a little bit but then it was time to go to bed 
and our steer had left the flap open to the bedroom and everything was soaking in his bed. All the kids' bed and everything was soaking. So that night they slept in a sort of lounge area and I spoke to our steer the next day and it was a long night and I'm thinking, I'm just praying that our tent will stand, stay up the whole night. And then our steer just said, oh yeah, I slept under this, like, I don't know if it was a coat or a little blanket. And you can imagine, kind of, like, oh. And he just said, as he was lying there, he was like, Lord, what are you teaching us? What are you teaching us? Why is today gone like today? It's a nightmare. Do you know, often in life, we can go through tough times. Actually, it was a, quite a tough time, especially for Steve Sharp. And there are tough situations, and we don't understand why things happen and why they come along when they come along. And it's because we can't always see the big picture. We can't always see the big picture. We can't understand God's plans. And sometimes we will never understand we just need to run to him. We need to trust him. We need to follow and listen to him and hold on to him and hold on to his promises that he has set before us. Do you know if joining us, Bonnie reminded us before that we've been going through the book of Exodus. We've been in it for about four months now. And we've seen that God has saved his people from slavery, in, uh, from the Egyptians, and he's, why has he saved them? He's saved them to display his glory to them, but also to display his glory through them as his people, and the whole world will know who he is. You see, he's brought them now to Mount Sinai, where he meets with them. And he, as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, he's given his law and shows them that, uh, that who he is. And what it means for them to be his people in this world. To be a unique people, a set-apart people, a holy people, unlike anybody else. To be his people. And we saw that uh, God gave them the Ten Commandments. He gave them this moral law. And last week we saw God showing uh, the people how to apply this law into all of life. And God wanted his people to hear, to learn, uh, to keep the law, to do the law. And in their obedience to his word, he would set them apart from all other people. And so we saw he gave them the book of the covenants. The book of how to live as his covenant people. See, God is preparing his people. He's preparing his people to enter into a land, a promised land, a land where they will be different. And they must be his people. And they must listen to him. They must obey him. And they must follow him in a covenant relationship that he has set up for them. And so we come uh, sort of to the end of this little section, this week and next week. It's like an epilogue. And we see God has asked for their commitment through the law. But now this morning we see his commitment to his people. And to his promises for his people. And we'll see how he will bring his people into this land that he promised them years before. So we're going to read the passage together. So if you've got your Bibles, open it at Exodus chapter 23. And we're going to read from verse 20. This is the word of the Lord. This is truth. 
And it's him who speaks to us through it. 23 verse 20 says, Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites, the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, I will blot them out. You shall, now, you shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. You shall save the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and water, and I will take sickness away from among you. None shall miscarry or be barren in, the, in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror before you and throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come, and I will make all your enemies turn their backs on you. And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hittites and the Canaanites and the Hittites from before you. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possessed the land. And I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the Euphrates, for I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand and I shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land lest they make you sin against me. But if you save their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. So as we come to this passage this morning, we can come to this and think, well, wait there. Like, we are not in this sort of situation. We're not moving into a physical land like Israel was. We don't have physical enemies like they did. And we can switch off. But can I encourage you this morning... Something that has never changed, that isn't different, is that we have a never-changing God. And we are his people. And the promises that he sets before his people, for the people of Israel, are so relevant for us today. So don't switch off. Don't switch off. And pray and ask the Lord to show you and to shape you and learn how to trust him. Let's pray as we do that. Father, we need you this morning. We want you to work in us. We want to listen to your voice. We want to obey you. We want to trust you. So, Father, help us, I pray. As we look through these verses, we can't cover it all. There's so much in there. But just give us a, a, an understanding. Show us who you are. May we marvel in you this day. May we marvel in your son because you're a God who loves his people. So bless us now, help us, I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Do you know, one of the wonderful things, just one of the wonderful things about God is that he is kind. He is kind. And, he's, and if you're really listening to his word, you will still know his kindness, 
even when difficult things come into life. Whatever happens in our lives will not shock us, actually. You see, God has always been open and truthful with his people. Right back in the garden, Adam, the first man, God gave him everything, blessed him with everything, but God is kind to him. Listen to what he says. You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. Why? For in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. You see, God says, Adam, listen to my voice in obedience, and you can enjoy me. You can enjoy life. But if you don't, God warns him that he will only bring death and destruction. God in his kindness warns him and shows him these truths. Do you know, we're created and designed to listen to God's voice. And the moment that we step away from that, we're walking in death. And we break our covenant with him. We break our relationship with him the moment we stop listening to him. And in these verses of Exodus 23, we see that God will bring his promises into completion. But they are conditional. They are intertwined with the listening to his voice and living in obedience with him. That's what he says. So, let's see the, these promises. Because actually, you'll see through this passage, it is all God. It is all him. So let's see what he says and how he'll bring, it about, bring these about. You see, because actually, ten times God says, I will. I will do something. I will bring about these promises. And that's beside him saying, I send and I have prepared. You see, God is the driver in this passage. Actually, God has been the driver all along through this. It's been none of God's people. Have you noticed that? He's the driver. He's, God is the one who loves. He's the one who cares. He's the one who provides for his people. He is the faithful one to his promises. And so this morning, two key truths that God, uh, uh, or two key promises that I want us to see. The first one is this, the promise of an angel who will protect, guide, and lead the people on their way. Then we're going to see the promise of his terror that will go before the people as they take the land that he promised them. So first of all, the promise of an angel, a promise of an angel who will protect, guide, and lead them on their way as we see God do this for his people. Look at verse 20 again. It says, behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on your way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him for he will not pardon your transgression for my name is in him. Do you know, there's a few ideas uh, about who this angel is, but the main view that most scholars believe, and I agree with actually, is that this is God himself. And in saying that he is God, actually the second person of the Trinity, you would know him as Jesus. It's what you call a theophany, a visual uh, manifestation of God in the Old Testament. And God says, 
He will go before his people on their way. Do you know, we actually meet this person in Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, and it is God himself. You see, Joshua, the Israelites, sorry, have crossed over the Jordan. So this is a little bit further down the line now. And, they're about, and they come into the promised land and they face Jericho, this powerful city that they've got to take on or God's got to take on. And Joshua comes to Jericho, and it says this in verse 13 of Joshua chapter 5. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face, it fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servants? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. You see, this angel who had gone before them is God himself, the Holy One. And God promises he will do things, will do some things for his people as he goes before them. He says that he will protect them. He will protect them physically. There's a really important line in here. It says this, I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. You see, what is God saying here? He's reinforcing his promises that he made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. You see, we see this time and time again through the Bible that when people are against God's people, they are against him. And Paul, actually, Paul who later becomes a Christian and writes lots of the Bible, or God uses him to write lots of the Bible, he was a great persecutor of God's people. And Jesus met with him. And Jesus said, why do you persecute me? You see, God says to these sorts of people who go against God's people and actually who are currently in the promised land that they're about to take, he says, I will blot them out. I will deal with them. I will move them out the way. I will give you the land. You see, God will protect his people and he will do it for his purposes as we'll see. But he also says he will protect them spiritually. You see, as they walk on the way, and as they walk among those actually who worship false gods and idols, God says, I will protect you spiritually. You see, God is in the spiritual battle with us and for us. And we'll see again in a minute. He also says that he will bring about the completion of the promised land. And he'll do it through them as he guides them along the way. And God, uh, God will and must fulfill his promises to his people because he is a faithful God. And something actually God cannot do is be unfaithful. God can't do everything. He cannot be unfaithful. He must keep his word. He cannot break his promises because he is God. But also we see in these verses that 
Israel must do something vital. They must do something vital as he leads and guides them. They must listen to him and they must obey his voice. Do you know, living as God's people, there are many things that we need to know. But one thing we must know is this. We must know that God goes with us. We must know that God goes before us. He is on our side. He is in the battle of life with us. But also, and actually more so, he is in the spiritual war for us. He is fighting for us against principalities and powers. And he is doing this in ways that we can never understand and probably never will completely understand. You see, there's a, a brilliant story in Two Kings with Elisha and his servant. And they're in a place called Dothan. And in that place, uh, basically, the ser- they're, 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 they're in the tents, I assume, the tents. And so uh, the servant walks out in the middle of the morning, you can imagine him brushing his teeth and, and sort of walking out in the sunshine. I mean, he looks up and there's an army surrounding the city. And naturally, what, how would you respond? Panic. And he panics and he runs back into Elijah and he said, there's an army there. Panicking, panicking. And Elisha says, go back out and have a real look. And as he's going out, he prays to God and says, help to see what is real. And he walks out, and as he walks out, he sees, basically behind, behind this army is a greater army. It's an army of flaming chariots and horses. It's the army of God who people could not see. That was the truth. That was the reality that God's people are protected by God and his army. You know, we can walk through the hardships of life knowing that he goes before us, he has got us, and he prepares a way for us. And by his spirit, he will enable us to listen and to obey his voice above all others in this world. And we can know that he has us in ways that we can never even imagine. He has got you. And you know, it's really, this is vitally important that we listen to his voice and listen to these truths. Because everywhere, there are voices that are screaming, screaming at you to get your attention, screaming at you to take your eyes off him, screaming at you. There's armies in front of you saying, don't see the truth. And we need to see what's really behind. You see, there are idols, there are false gods who seek to distract and destroy us. Look at verse 24. He says, You shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. You see, as they go into this land, they're going to face these people who worship false gods. And he says, don't follow their gods. Listen to me. Don't listen to them. 
You may sit there and you say, well, what's the problem? Why, why can't Israel worship these other gods? Why can't they bow down to these gods if they choose? This is the sort of language we will hear today, actually. As long as it makes you happy, it's okay who you worship, isn't it? doesn't really matter, does it? Well, God is warning his people. You are coming into this land. You will be tempted by these gods that will promise you all sorts of things. They will promise to satisfy you. They will promise you to give you what you want. Economic benefit for yourself. They promise to do things for you like grow your crops, bring fertility, take sickness away. You will be told by others, it's okay to worship them because you can get what you want. This is a massive, going to be a massive temptation for the people of Israel as they go into this land. And they'll look at others and think, well, they've got it. I want it. You worship these gods and you can get your own benefit from it. But the thing is, what is the real warning about these gods? The real warning is this, is that they are not true gods. Because there is only one true God who reigns over all, who is Lord of all. But you know what? They are false gods. You see, these gods are very real. Demonic spirits who will tempt people away from the true God. And God is saying, you must be on your guard. In fact, don't just not bow down to them. Don't just avoid saving them. You've got to destroy them. And anything else that drives you towards them, destroy them. Anything that drives you away from me and my voice, destroy them. We must fight against them. Because they will always lead to death will always lead to death. But the thing is, though, we don't have false gods like that, do we? We don't have idols. We're not polytheistic in our culture. I mean, we don't worship this God and that God and this God and that God, do we? We don't have, uh, lots of us don't. We know other religions do, like Hindu, but we don't have many of those sort of uh, people around here who worship lots and lots of gods. In our culture, uh, you know, we don't pray to other gods to get benefits from them. Well, actually, do you know what? The temptations that Israelites face are exactly the same temptations today. It just looks different. You see, when we think about our temptations, we think like sort of in a bit of an abstract way, but actually they are very, very real. And there are gods all around us, probably even more than that, the gods that they were going to face. And they want us to worship them and to reject the true God and his voice. Often they are very subtle. Often they are in your face. But it's anything that wants to distract you from God and get you to look away from what he has done and from what he is doing for us. Do you know often, I mean, we've seen this over the last couple of weeks as we've been looking at the, the book of the covenant. We look at others and we cover, don't we? 
We seek after things of this world. Because why? We believe the lies that they will fulfill us. We desire other people's lives, don't we? We do this all the time, I think. We look at others and think, if my life was just a little bit more like theirs, I'd be so much better. And we do it as Christians all the time as well. We want to benefit ourselves socially, economically in a world, and we, in this world, and we crave what the world wants. We crave what the world wants. And also, we crave it for our children. What's our biggest heart for our children? You know, I heard this week uh, when I was looking at some things, somebody said this, we're no longer keep trying to keep up with the Joneses, our neighbors, because we don't know them. But actually, we're trying to keep up with the people on TV, the Cardassians, the, the footballers, the YouTubers. Imagine having a life like theirs. We'd be so much happier. And we believe and let these lies feed our lives. These gods speak to us. And this is exactly what Israel was facing. The promise, promise of a happier, more fulfilled life. We want the, what the world has and promises. And we're distracted from God and all that he does for us. And often we will do anything to get there. You know, this is the temptation, or some of the temptations that we all face. We have so many voices screaming at us. And these voices fuel, actually, our polytheistic ways, our God-worshipping ways. We worship so many gods. We want more gods. We want our own gods. We want to worship all the created things, and we reject the Creator. You see, these gods feed us, don't they? They feed us so we become jealous about others. We, we actually start to hate each other with others. We become envious of each other. And so what happens then? Our relationship with God is destroyed, and actually our relationship with each other becomes twisted and destroyed. We even create our own gods, and we start to use the world's language. So when we fail and we sin, we, uh, for example, we say, oh, I lose my temper, but it's just who I am. I can't help it. You know, kids, they're not that bad. They're not really sinful. They're just innocent little kids. They don't know what they're doing. Love is love. I can marry who I want. It doesn't, and, I, and actually, if, if I'm not happy in my marriage, then I'll move on. We start creating these gods speaking that sort of language. But God says, be careful. Be on your guard. Don't listen to these lies. Don't listen to these gods and fall into temptation. What does he say instead? He says, listen to me. Listen to me. I love you and I've got you. Look at verse 25. He says, you shall save the Lord your God. And he will bless your bread and your water. And I will take sickness away from among you. None shall miscarry or be barren in the land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will look after you. I have looked after you. I will look after you. I will give you all that you need. I will give you life. Joe, you may look at these verses 
And you might have questions like, well, okay, is God promising prosperity? You might be sitting there and say, I've struggled. I've struggled with having children. I've lost a child. Is, is that my fault? Am I sort of cursed in some sort of way? Well, first of all, we look at the whole Bible. And if you are a Christian, know this, you are not cursed. These things are not your fault. How do I know this? Because all our curse has been laid upon him. We are no longer under condemnation of law and sin because of Jesus. So know that we are free from thinking like this. So the question then is, what is God saying here? What is God doing with Israel at this point? There's a few things. He's preparing them. He's preparing them for what is coming. You don't need other gods. I have been with you. I will always be with you. Save me, and I will be your God. He's showing them that he will provide for them. He is the God of creation. He is the God who redeemed them. He is the God who has provided for them, as we've seen. And he will continue to do so. You don't need to follow the lies of these false gods because they will lead you to death. But I am the one who will lead you to life. I have done already. And I will hold you there. And he is promising to protect them. He says, I will bring life. And they will be his people. And so will grow and grow and grow as his people. And why is God then protecting them in this way? Why are they going to grow numerically? Yes, to show his glory, but actually to show his glory through someone. You see, with Israel, it's a unique reason. It's because Jesus comes from them. It's because Jesus comes from Israel. In Romans chapter 9, Paul tells us this. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, all that we have seen, the worship and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. You see, God will provide for them he will protect them. He's preparing them because the Savior of the world will come from them. And God can always see the bigger picture. And his redemption plan is much bigger than just Israel moving into a physical promised land. God's redemptive plan is for the Savior of the world to redeem his people for his glory. You see, he says, don't follow other gods. Don't worry about what others have and what you need. I will protect you. I will feed you. Just listen to me and follow me. And it's exactly the same for us today. We need to open our Bible. We need to know what he promises. We need to know who he is. And we need to follow him knowing that actually we are part of a redemptive plan for his glory. We have to listen to him. And now, God is saying, listen to me, follow me. 
and then trust me. Trust me. Have faith in me. You see, and we see how God now is going to fulfill his promises. You see, he promises a terror that will go before the people. And they will take the land that he has given them. Look at verse 27, it says, I will send my terror before you, and I will throw, you, throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come. And I will make you, all your enemies turn their backs on you. And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivites and the Canaanites and the Hittites from before you. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possess the land. God says, I will send my terror and even bring hornets to wipe the people out. You see, this terror is a fear from God that will come upon the people of the land. And we actually see this right at the start, back in Jericho again, where Rahab meets these two spies. And she speaks about how Jericho is responding to Israel. It says this in verse 8, Before the men lay down, Rahab came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how, you, how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were before you beyond the Jordan, to Shion and Og, whom you destroyed to uh, devoted to destruction and as soon as we heard it our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you for the Lord your God he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath you see God at this point guarantees he will bring about his promise of a land to his people and the people of this land are filled with terror, will be filled with terror because of what he has done and because of what he will do. I don't know about you, but we're, we're looking for a house at the moment, but when you're looking for a house, uh, you're looking around, aren't you? And I don't know, you, you, you look at a house, we also look at the neighbors, don't you? Yeah, do we all do that? And you hope, I hope they're nice, yeah? I hope they're not noisy. I hope they're not like party animals. I hope, I hope uh, you know, they're, they're good for my kids to grow up next to. I hope they don't smell any, uh, smoke anything dodgy, all that sort of stuff. These all go through your mind, don't they? You see, as the people of Israel come into the promised land, what would you do with the people? What would I do with the people? See, I think about when I'm moving into a street, I'd love to get nice middle-class people next to me. It was just going to be nice. And it'll be good for me and my kids. You know, that, uh, and we'll be safe. What would I do? 
I would go and clear the land. Just let the people free and they'll be okay. The good job is God is not like us. He is wise and he is loving to us. You see, he promises to give them the land. He promises to blot out the people who are their enemies, who hate them and hate God, but not straight away. Because if he wipes the place, then Israel will actually end up facing animals instead and they're never going to win that battle. And so he says, I will do this. I will give you the land, but I will do it little by little. Because I can see the bigger picture. And you will just have to trust me. You will have to trust me. But I will give you the land that I have promised to you. You see, God is doing something better for Israel. It'll be hard for them. The road is going to be so long. But I will be with you. Listen to me, obey me, and trust me, and you will have the victory. God says this to all his people. Listen to me, obey me, trust me, because you will have the victory. Do you know, life is hard, isn't it? Life is hard. And I think as the older you get, it feels harder. Times are difficult at times. But God says, trust me. Trust me in your hardships. Trust me in your walk. Because I'm doing something bigger. Bigger than you can understand, but I can understand. Trust me. You know, I, I'm sure there are people here who struggle with this. And this is where faith comes in. Knowing that God is a God who has redeemed his people. Knowing that God has redeemed you. Knowing that he sent his son to die for you. That's how much he loves you. He knows you. He knows what you need. And he will protect you until eternity. You have the victory already in Christ. But why doesn't God take the temptations away? I mean, if you think about temptations and your enemies and in our life, like surely, surely, God wants to drive them out and set us free. I mean, it's not a bad thing for them to be blotted out of our lives. Wiped out so we don't face temptation? Absolutely. And we should pray that. But God may say, it's not good for these things to be blotted out for you right now. Not just yet. You see, what is good for Israel and for us today, right now, it's what we've seen this morning. It is good for us to listen to him. It's good for us to obey him. And it's good for us to trust him. You see, we need to move through life 
with its difficulties, with its challenges, with its ups and downs, with the temptations, knowing that God is doing what is best for us and for his glory. And he's doing it as someone who knows you. Someone who loves you like nobody else loves you. You see, God wanted the Israelites to grow. He wanted them to grow spiritually. He wanted them to grow numerically. And we may actually think of our own lives and think we want instant change. We want clarity in our lives. But God cares that we grow. And he knows that we grow little by little. Even if we don't get it. Joe's Christians, we should know that God has never kept this from us. He's never promised that life is going to be easy. Some churches will preach that. They're not preaching the truth. Jesus was very clear. We'll face persecution. We'll face suffering. Things will come against us. Temptations. We're fighting against principalities and powers. See, this doesn't mean that God isn't with us. It doesn't mean that God has rejected us. In fact, these things are a sign that we belong to him. And God says, I'm doing something. And we may not see it, and we may cry out in the night and say, why? Why am I going through this? Why is this hard? But God promises us he is with us, and we must listen, obey, and trust. And you know, as we come to the end of this passage, we see that God promises to give Israel, the full land. And this actually doesn't come to completion until David and and Solomon are on the throne. Years later. But again, they're reminded, the people are reminded that their covenant is with God. And so they must resist the gods of this world. Because they will be a snare to you, he says. They will become a trap to you. And you know, actually, if you carry on and we'll see, the very sad thing is that the people of Israel don't listen to God. They don't obey him. They don't trust him. And so they worship idols. And they set their minds on things on the earth. They become trapped in this cycle of sin and rejection of God. It's desperately sad as we read it. Next week, though, we're going to see something wonderful. Because actually, we'll see that God, the faithful one, has sealed his covenant through the shedding of blood. And even in our faithlessness, he is faithful to his covenant and his people, and he will never let us go. You know, we so often get trapped in our sin because we have taken our eyes off who God is and what he has done for us and what he is doing in us and through us and for us. And that is why we get frustrated with ourselves. That is why we continue often in this cycle of sin in our lives. And we need to remember that we are free people. We are free from sin. And we need to reset our hearts and our minds upon the covenant that we have with God through Christ. It is sealed with his blood. And he will never let us go. 
He died to free us from this bondage. And we need to live under that freedom, knowing that he will take us to a promised land that is greater than what Israel had, a promised land that will last for all eternity with him, where we'll be free from all of this. We need to know that because of Christ's shed blood for us, he will always go before us. He will protect us. He will provide us until eternity, until that new creation day. Oh, I long for that day. I don't like you. But until then, we must listen to him. We must obey him. We must trust him. Do you know, this passage, there's lots of heavy stuff in here. It's a wonderful passage. It's an amazing passage because God says, I will. I will, he says. You see, it is God who does the saving. It is God who is leading us. It is God who provides for us. It is God who is shaping us. It is God who guarantees our future. It is God who is faithful to his promises. It is God who loves me. It is God who will never let me go. It is God who sent Jesus for me. It is God's spirit that lives in me. It is God who seals me with his blood. It is God who sees me as righteous. It is God who I can trust at all times, in all places, in all situations. It is God who has the victory. I'm a child of God. who has won for himself, who he has won for himself, for his glory. We can listen to him. We can obey him. We can trust him because his spirit lives in us. We are his people. And he will hold us until his last promise is fulfilled and we are with him in all eternity. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice in the Lord Jesus. We rejoice that he is our Lord and our Savior. We rejoice that he is the one who came and died upon a cross to set us free from the bondage of sin. Oh, Father, help us to listen to him. Help us to obey him. Help us to trust him. Father, we thank you that you will be with us till he returns. We're going to have a time around the Lord's table now. We're going to eat the bread and the wine. And I want to read something from 1 Corinthians that talks about these times of idolatry. It says, now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that, not, uh, that, that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless is not a is it not a particip participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we are many, one body, 
for we partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? See, Paul is saying here, that as we walk in this world, we can't have two masters. If you've been walking in sin, you've fallen into temptation, God, as he says here, has provided a way of escape. And that is through the Lord Jesus dying and taking the burden of sin upon him. And he says, come in repentance. Ask him for forgiveness, knowing that you are free from this world of idols, free from this world of sin. You can take this meal if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you don't know, just pass it on. If he's not your Lord, pass it on and think about who you are before Christ and who he is and what he's done for you. But as we take this, remember we take it remembering that Jesus' body was broken for us. He paid the price of death for our sins. And we'll take the juice and it points to the shed blood of Jesus. And it's a sign that we, are, we are, have a sealed covenant, that we are washed clean, washed clean from our sin. And we will be in relationship with him forever. Why? Because not our faithfulness, his faithfulness. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Let's eat together.